Teacher Vet is a podcast about topics in veterinary medicine. Though we strive to provide research-based information, it is not intended to be used as medical advice. So if Fido is feeling sick, be sure to take him to your vet. Trust us, they know what they are doing. Hi, I'm Jacob Vockler, and I'm the teacher. Hi, I'm Amanda Vockler, and I'm the vet. And you're listening to Teacher, teacher vet. vet. Hey, Amanda. For episode four, I just, I really want to bring up this topic of, I want to get, I want to get back to, back to my roots, right? I want to get back to my, my caveman <laughs> roots, right? I want to get raw. What I do you like think? I feel like most days we are there. Are you saying I'm like a caveman? <laughs> yeah. What's like, what am I like a caveman? What do I do that makes me like a caveman? I don't know that everybody wants to have our details of our life. I I just want to, I just feel like getting raw. What do you think? Raw with what? Like just get, like I just, we should start eating like raw meat, right? It's just, I think that like the cavemen did, we should just get back to old school roots, back to like we were when we had to hunt and gather, right? And just get back to the, our roots, our raw roots. You, you can go for that, but I love my meat cooked. Oh, well, well, why? I don't want to die. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is why men get married. Because if it wasn't for you, I probably would be dead by now with, with these decisions. Thank so, you. So, what are we going to be talking about today? So today, as as you've joked around with, we are going to talk specifically about raw diets. But there's so many things to cover as far as nutrition goes that we've decided we are going to do a multi-part series. So this is going to be kind of our first in the series of of nutrition. You know, we might mainly cover small animal nutrition because I feel like there's a lot more hot topic things as far as that goes. But we'll see if I if I come across anything else, we might touch on that. You know, before we get started into the full raw diet, I I thought it was appropriate that we look on into the, more the history of nutrition in general of small animals. And so that's where you kind of come in. Nutrition is actually a really hot button topic right now. And we actually planned on talking about this a couple of weeks ago. We came up with this idea, but uh, they've come up out, they've come out with some research that's uh, been brought up, which we'll talk about later on. But mm-hmm. uh, animal nutrition is actually a really hot button topic. And, and so, people are passionate. Holy cow. About their animal nutrition. People care a lot about the, what their animals <laughs> eat. <laughs> and my jokes about getting raw and being down to the raw roots and blah blah blah. People genuinely think that about their animals, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of debunk that a little bit later on, right? Yes. Awesome. That hey, before we help. get into the raw food diet, which is what this specific episode is about, we're gonna talk about just kind of animal nutrition as a whole and kind of how it came to be. So I'll riff a little bit on the history of it right here. Okay. So here's the deal. We get to break up animal nutrition into two real main areas, and it's kind of separated by the Industrial Revolution. Pop quiz. When was the Industrial Revolution? (laughs) Why would you do this to me? (laughs) (laughs) Give me a 100-year time frame. So, like, would 1800 count? Yes. Or is that too? You're Am I wrong? partially right. Oh no, my you're gosh. Right. So between the 1700s and 1800s is technically the Industrial Revolution, right? Now, why that's really important is pretty insignificant. But here's the deal what were dogs and basic animals fed before that? 
pretty much anything that people could spare. Most animals at that point were all companion animals. Or excuse me, were not companion animals. Were working animals. And so they just got whatever the household could spare, right? The extra meat off the bone that they made for roast for dinner that night or whatever. And uh, some extra grains or whatever the scenario might be. Basically table scraps, right? So people didn't really think much about what they were feeding their dogs because they were working dogs. If dog got sick, get a new dog, right? No big deal. About the turn of, of the century, so 18, about getting into the 1800s, you start to see some people start to become more interested in their animals as a companion and not just a working animal. And so that's where we start to see the rise of people caring about feeding their dog, what they people fed their dogs. So specifically in 1860, you have James Spratt, who produces the first dog biscuit. He sees some sailors out on the dock throwing like a like a piece of hardtack essentially out mm-hmm. to their out to this dog, and he thought. Hey, maybe that's something that I can get into. He was a businessman, so he puts a lot of money into building into building this process to get this dog biscuit. The dog biscuit, <laughs> tell, tell me how good this sounds. The dog biscuit had uh, wheat meal, vegetables, beetroot, and beef blood. Sound good? Beats. Bears, Beats, Battlestar Galactica, right? Only some people are going to get that reference. <laughs> uh, so James Spratt makes his first dog biscuit and sells it, right? We're calling this the first produced dog food. Sound yeah. good? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So we're. I know plenty of dogs that just eat biscuits and treats for food. So, yeah. And rather I'm, than food, food. Yeah. And I'm definitely not going to kill everybody with the history of dog food. So we're going to kind of stop that there. What you need to know, though, is by 1860, people started thinking about what they're going to feed their dogs. Mm -hmm. And then you get the birth of the AAFCO, which is Association of American Feed Control Officials. Did I get it? Yeah. Boom. I call that AFCO. So I can't ever remember that acronym. (laughs) But I just always always call it AFCO. Yeah. So AFCO is founded in 1909. They start to regulate what's in the food. Okay. And mm-hmm. so they're working with lawmakers to help keep food safe. They um, they are going to develop safety regulations for production, what's in it, and so on and so forth. And then they they create like nutrition guidelines and stuff a little bit. They yeah. still exist today. They're still a big part of of uh, food handling and and food production today when it comes to animals. Um, Other things for you to know is uh, today the pet food industry is a big one, right? This one was a shocker to me. Mm -hmm. So you have $30 billion industry is the pet food industry, right? That's astronomical, right? So we go from the 1860s where nobody even thought about what they were feeding the animals so that somebody made up this idea of a dog biscuit to today, which is a $30 billion industry. Mind-blowing. Here's the thing, though, about that. That means that there's way more choices out there, which can be a good thing. But unfortunately, but it also, also means... Over, it's overwhelming, Yes, I feel like, to yes. a lot of people. Exactly. And, and, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And there's people... That advertisements are huge. All right. Well, I saw an advertisement marketing. for... Yeah, marketing is big, right? Mm-hmm. People think, well, it looks good on TV, so it's got to be good for my dog. Mm-hmm. Not always true, right? Mm-hmm. It is a big industry. If you're a business person in any way, shape, or form, you look at what the industry produces. And if I'm somebody trying to make a business and I'm saying $30 billion a year, even I'm a, gonna jump in on a that. small portion of that pie <laughs> is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, that is a lot of money. 
So that's pretty much the dog food industry in a nutshell. Like I said, I'm not going to go crazy into it. So what we're going to talk about today is raw food, right? And raw food became a really big part of this $30 billion industry, or at least it has in recent years. Before we get into what what the history of it is, you got to let me know. What is raw food diet other than the very blatantly obvious? Yeah. So raw food diet, yeah, it's, it's exactly as it sounds. It's, it's raw and uncooked food. There are kind of three major categories that raw food diets are broken into that that one could say. Um, The first being that there is commercially available raw food diets. Um, These diets are intended to be um, fully complete and balanced without any need of additional supplements. Um, And these ones are typically sold in frozen form. To me, that doesn't sound awesome to just have frozen meat essentially all the time. Unless you're a caveman trying to get back to your roots like I'm and freaking awesome. (laughs) Just doesn't seem appetizing to me, but that's... It's because you're not cool like me. It's just my science brain. I just see raw meat and it just (laughs) kind of makes me me quiver. It's people like you that keep people like me alive. (sighs) You know. (laughs) The, The second category is homemade Um, raw food diets. There's a lot of recipes for homemade raw food diets available in books, um, articles, as well as on the internet, which you've obviously got to be super careful about. But there are really popular ones, one being the barf diet. That's bone and raw food diet. I'm really glad you clarified for me (laughs) because who comes up with the name barf food diet? Yeah. When you're trying to... We just talked about marketing. All right. There's no way that anybody's <laughs> making any money off of the BARF diet. I know. That's just, you know, people and their acronyms. But but mm, that's the, you barf know, the other part that there's bones and raw food um, within this diet. Wait, can we take um, a second? What would that, what, what's the jingle for BARF food diet sound like? <laughs> I don't know. I, listeners who have any musical interest in your life, winner. To the person who gives us a barf food jingle. Yeah. Done. And make it sound good. We'll send you like a sticker or something. Uh, (laughs) Oh, we have stickers now? I'll come up with one if I can hear a barf (laughs) food jingle. Done. (laughs) Now, the third being there is a combination diet, meaning that it has commercially available um, food and then there's grain and supplement mixes within a combination of raw meat. Um, so that's kind of the, the breakdown of raw food. I have seen these products. I've actually, I've had patients on them. I've, I've seen actually the packaging and have actually conversed with some of these companies before in, in learning more about these diets for, for my clients specifically. So, you know, not to go into too much detail and about it, because um, I will hear in a minute of why people do feed it. But Jake, kind of tell me your history part of raw food. Yeah, the history part of raw food is actually really simple. Um, we kind of already talked about it a little bit. Uh, when you're talking, people would just kind of feed their animal whatever it was that they had around. A lot of that could have been raw food. Um, I did read some stuff where they talked about 
and this is gets a little gruesome, but you know, whatever, uh, they're the old, the old saying of like, uh, horse broke their leg. You got to kill the horse, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Horse meat used to be very popular meat. Yes. For, horse meat for was, dogs was very popular. And if, and if a horse act, ever actually spoiled, they actually fed a lot of the dogs, the horse meat, the spoiled horse meat. Mm-hmm. So there's some history there, but like trying to find the history of like when did the barf diet come to be or any kind of stuff like that is actually really hard. So um, I didn't really find a lot there, but one thing that is worth talking about in this segment is just kind of the idea behind it or the argument behind it. So the number one thing that people do is they use history as an excuse or a reason for a raw food diet, right? The number one argument is, well, our dogs are a descendant of wolves, right? Which you commonly, <laughs> you commonly rebut with saying, well, I just had a gigantic fat uh, uh, Chinese pug in my room that looked nothing like a gray wolf to me. Yeah. <laughs> All snorting there in its roly poly glory. Yeah. At this that point. Is totally a descendant yep, of the wolf. <laughs> looks like a gray wolf to me. Uh, so a lot of people say that they're descendants very, of gray wolves. Very far. <laughs> yes. Now, specifically, um, the gray wolf, right, is the big is the big part of it. Is they're saying that as a descendant of this gray wolf, that they it's in their genes that they should be eating raw meat and that they need it, right? And that they also they 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 should like be hunters, right? And they should only be fed this raw meat every so often too. That's another concept. They say don't give it daily, give it every couple of days because they're not used to having the meat that often as their ancestor would, and and so on and so forth. It's believed that there was a split about 30,000 years ago from this certain subspecies of gray wolf to get to the animal that we know today. Uh, let's Say that again. 30,000 30, years ago. Okay. Just need to make sure everybody heard that. <laughs> yes. Now that specific uh, subspecies of gray wolf actually went extinct somewhere between 15 and 20,000 years ago, they believe. And then with all that said, the idea behind the raw diet very simply is that at their core, they are wolves and they need meat, right? And that, that's basically what they're arguing. Just like I joked at the beginning, right? I'm going back to my roots, like the caveman. I'm going to eat some meat. And that's not fully true for us, right? So we're, mm-hmm. we'll talk about why that's wrong. But uh, that's basically the history behind the raw meat diet. Simple as that. You know, going off of that, then why do people claim that, that it's better, that it's good, and that they want to do it? The million dollar question. Why? Please, somebody tell me why. And I've even said this to you as we've been kind of discussing dog food a lot more recently. Like, I I get it. There's there's a lot of, you know, you look at the bowl of dry dog kibble and it's like that has to, you know, is that really appeasing? I've never wanted to jump all over a bowl of dog kibble. But boy, our dogs love it. I, they do. <laughs> so they do. I guess I never really questioned it, but I, I can see that side of it that even like visually and aesthetically, the dry kibble may not be super appeasing. And I know a lot of people find a lot of joy and happiness out of feeding their animals. That's why they always have a hard time telling me everything that they feed them because they feel like I'm going to judge them, but I'm not. Food is love. That's what they Mm -hmm. say, right? Food is love. (laughs) Right. But I'd rather have that open conversation as far as what's appropriate and and what. Yeah. All right. So why why raw? Why do people say raw? So they, so different 
raw food companies and even people that are proponents of uh, raw food diets claim that they see benefits such as improvement in coat and skin, elimination of bad breath, uh, body and fecal odor, um, which is um, kind of, I'm going to question that one of who's like testing. Yep, this poop smells different. So this one was given definitely a raw food diet. Like who's testing that? Somebody somewhere is getting paid to be a fecal smeller in some lab somewhere. Is that what you're telling me? Apparently. Side note. I didn't, they didn't have that class in college. This is a total like diversion from this, but there is a, a fart suit. <laughs> that, this that is not been, in the rundown. We did not no, talk about this ahead of time. There is a fart suit that has been developed <laughs> for dogs. Do- nope. They wear these suits to catch <laughs> their farts. <laughs> so they can... You're so kidding. they can analyze it to see no. with, yeah, and this is a, this is more for probiotics. So this no is like way. a total diversion, but it was a research done for, for, for probiotics and it was a fart suit and fart actually does stand for something. It's like F- smelly flatulence bad. analyzer, no. something. Yeah. Okay. Recovery. I don't remember it. I'm going to have to look it up. But I don't know if I'll ever learn note. anything new in the rest of my life <laughs> when we do this podcast. That moment was worth doing this entire podcast. I've never heard that before. Yep. That's the best thing I've heard yep. in a long time. I'll, I'll, I'll share a picture on the Instagram and I'll, I'll, I will definitely, I have a hard time remembering all the acronyms because I, all the words within the oh, acronym. Okay. <laughs> Remember the acronym. <laughs> let's re- let's refocus. That's amazing. All right. So anyways, fart suit analyzer. Okay. Moving there on. There is a fart suit analyzer. Yes. So um, they also claim for feeding raw diets that there's an improvement in energy, behavior, improvement in overall health, immune function, reduction of many medical conditions, including allergies, arthritis, pancreatitis, and parasites. Okay. So... The rationale for the use of raw dog, raw dog food, they, they feel as simple that dogs and cats are carnivores, which we know to be false. Cats are carnivores, but dogs are technically omnivores. They do need some sort of grain and carbohydrate in their diet. Um, and they evolved from eating raw foods. They also say that commercial foods are heat processed which destroys certain nutrients and additional enzymes that are are essential. So commercial foods may not be natural and nutritionally sound diet for cats and dogs. Um, and then, as I said before, that it looks better and yeah. it gives them a, a variety yeah. of, of food. Okay. So we have far from hidden our bias and our opinion on this concept and this topic. So let's go ahead and let's beat the heck out of this topic about why raw food is so bad. Fair? 
Fair. Let's do I it. I could go on for a long time. I'll try not to. This is the moment where we get to take the gloves off. I, I We've snickered and I had and a joked. hard time like even saying some of those things out loud because then I don't want people to take that as like legit reasons. <laughs> we had a little disclaimer of the pre and post part of when you said what, what was good. Yeah. To be fair, all the things that we just said were good is their argument why they're good. We're not mm-hmm. saying that's why they're good. We're saying that's why people say they're good, right? Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and let's let's beat it up. Okay. Yep. Why is raw food not good? Okay. I'm gonna start because there's a history point here. Are dogs genetically connected to wolves? Yes. Yes, they are. It is proven. We know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. How much? That is, that's the point of argument, and we're going to talk about just how much they really are connected, right? The roly-poly pug. (laughs) Yes. They are so far removed from their wolf ancestor that you can almost not call them, I I, uh, non-scientifically, I'm going to say they're not even in the same family, but my eighth grade science teaches me that I know that they're still the same family, but they're they're so far removed, they're not even close. Uh, It has been 15,000 years since the extinction of the of the subspecies of gray wolf that they believed our dogs are, are, are evolved from. Right. Mm -hmm. So what can happen in a, in a living creature over 15,000 years of evolution? Let's talk about humans for a second. When humans Humans are are gross, humans are gross. That's the tagline that all veterinarians and vet school types say (laughs) humans are gross. Right. Uh, so 15,000 years. Okay. So all you, all humans in 15, in the last 15,000 years have evolved to a point that we see different countries in different areas start to react differently to different foods. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about for a second, all humans as infants are able to digest milk, right? Mm-hmm. For very obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And so when we're being nursed by our same mothers, with dogs and cats. Yep, same with dogs and cats. When mm-hmm. we're being nursed by our mothers, we have uh, the enzyme lactase, right? Which is the thing that helps us break down lactose, right? Look at you go. I'm like a scientist right now because I say <laughs> big words, right? We are able to break that down because our body is designed to break it down because our bodies know that that's the nutrient we get. That's the nutrition we get when we are born. Well, as we are weaned off of milk from our mothers, right, we stop actually producing that enzyme, right? Mm -hmm. Well, until about 10,000 years ago, when a lot of countries start to domesticate, not domesticate, that's a bad term, when a lot of countries start to uh, massive use of cattle, right? And so... Domesticate, we'll call it that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I lost all that cred on the science mm-hmm. comment stuff, right? Um, but 10,000 years ago, massive use of cattle. And with that comes use of cat, of cow's milk. So a lot of European countries and a lot of countries on the American continent, they are and still are heavily using milk from cows for a lot, a lot of their daily diets, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So because of that, our bodies have actually evolved to the point where we actually keep producing that enzyme. So a, a, a massive, a overwhelming majority of people in these countries are not lactose intolerant. In contrast to that, you have people like it, almost, I believe it was over 99% of people from Africa are lactose intolerant. Why? Because they don't need to produce that enzyme because they don't drink milk. Right. Mm-hmm. For very, it's simple, very simple. So my point being in just 10,000 years, certain 
portions of the human population have evolved to to adjust to what they eat or don't eat. So if dogs over the last 15,000 years have been evolving away from this gray wolf, and they've also been now for the last 200 years relying on humans to feed them, mm-hmm. it's very easy to say that they are not wolves anymore. And, and their body digestion, specifically speaking, is not the same, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there's my argument. Boom, walk away, dro- mic drop. That's all I got. <laughs> what do you got? Well, mine is also more of the, the science behind it of having, um, you know, my my background of, of schooling and everything of just even the the infectious um, reasons <laughs> is what gets me Gross. irked out. That I I just find it interesting that they they claim that. Um, parasites will be less with raw diets, but when we actually know the opposite, that you're more likely to get parasites when eating um, raw meat. I don't get how anybody can meat. claim that you get less when you eat raw meat. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it, anyway, like even side point of you know everything. Like I said, I get it, and I can I can see that side of that that we want to give our dogs variety. We want to give them the best. We want to make them happy. Um, but just cook it. I don't know why we can't just cook it. Yeah. So the 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 biggest thing is infectious agents that bacteria, uh, parasites are are the biggest thing um, of a public health risk. There's not only a risk of the animal contracting these diseases and being exposed to the bacteria, but also humans in the household being exposed to that. Especially when you're handling the meat, putting the food in their uh, food dishes, putting that down on the ground. Dogs are licking that, and then they come and lick their their legs. They lick everywhere. They lick your face. You touch it, and then you get salmonella, E. coli, C. diff. All yeah. these things that well, are totally possible to and, get. And we're fairly healthy 30-year-old people, but we also have a two-year-old walking around who loves her animals. She loves her dogs, and they love her back, and they Mm -hmm. love when she has peanut butter all over her face because she can't eat like a normal person because she's borderline a caveman, (laughs) and and they will attack her face like crazy, and we try to avoid it because it's gross and all that stuff, but like you can't avoid it 100%. No. So if they were eating, eating raw food... Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just be yeah it just is everywhere and that's the the biggest thing too that even people that are have higher immune suppression so essentially really young kids older adults or if you have a chronic health condition then you're more yeah. susceptible to to getting these infections and so absolutely do not have raw food in your house because of that because of the immune suppression Another big thing is with raw diets that they are nutritionally imbalanced. Not a lot of these are backed by the AAFCO, AFCO, mm-hmm. um, because they do not meet a lot of the nutritional needs for, for our pets. Biggest things that raw food diets were found to have is an imbalanced calcium to phosphorus ratio. Increased vitamin D levels, which can be over a long time of being exposed to high levels of vitamin D, can be very harmful um, to our bodies. 
decreased potassium, decreased manganese content, decreased or increased zinc, decreased iron, and increased vitamin E content. A big part, too, especially in regards to the barf diet with the bones that are included in there. (laughs) It makes me nervous because there's the risk of intestinal foreign bodies, um, meaning that these bones or chunks of bone can cause insult to to the intestines and sometimes even cause partial blockage. Even some pieces of these bones can be very sharp and can poke, um, perforate intestines it's just i just don't know why we're we're putting our animals at risk with giving those and mainly you know the biggest thing are these bones that are more fragile um that they're breaking into really small pieces i know dogs chew on bones and i i get that but make sure they're cooked and yeah. bigger bones where they're not able to break off pieces because just in that alone i've seen many dogs get sick from all these little bone shards as they're trying to pass through the intestines wreaking havoc as yeah. they're going through their GI tract. Well, it's just, it's it's really not that hard to think about too when you think about we eat as a society a ton of processed food ourselves, but uh, if you have, you know, a chicken strip or something that says it's boneless and you find a little something in there, you have the cognitive ability to be like, "Oh, that shouldn't be in there." Mm-hmm. And you can find it and get rid of it or whatever. And it's probably pretty harmless. But dogs are just going to town, right? They're yeah. they're not thinking about that. They're just eating it like dogs crazy. Dogs are scavengers. They yeah. just when you when you break it down, I don't know that they really care. And you know, I know we can't ask them; they can't tell us. But I don't know that they are really caring at what they eat. They just want to <laughs> no. eat. They just want to eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they give just me food. know they want food. Yep. And a lot of times, I see that with dogs that then tend to overeat or cause cause really bad stomach issues with what they decide to eat because they they can't be left with that judgment. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention with going back to um, kind of the infectious agents is I do see a lot of people that come to me after I've diagnosed their animal with cancer and, you know, they've, they've done the thing that then a lot of people will do is they go to the internet trying to find something that will help their animal that has cancer. And I have many, many people that come to me saying, Hey, I saw if I feed my dog raw food, that that's going to cure the cancer or that's going to help that. And unfortunately there are no scientific claims. Number one, that it's going to cure cancer, but there's no, um, scientifically proven information that, um, raw food diets are, are beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest drawback being that having cancer then will suppress your immune system and then make you more susceptible to getting these infections. And so my biggest hesitation, especially, you know, any cancer patient, human cancer patient would say that, you know, their doctors, I'm sure, are telling them to be super careful to not ever eat anything any raw. They have to be really careful about what they're eating because then they're going to be more susceptible to getting these infections yeah. and having these problems. So, you know, the same goes for, for our animals too. Another thing is there has been a link, not a, a cause per se, but there sometimes is a increased incidence of heart disease. I mean, even looking at cats too, 
a lot of times these foods are not nutritionally balanced. And the biggest thing is that these diets can sometimes lack taurine and need to be supplemented with that. Taurine is an amino acid that the body needs to help with the heart's muscle in in it functioning and, and doing its job. Yet again, another reason why I don't know that these are the best. Yeah. As far as picking out what food is appropriate, you know, I'm not going to go into all that because it, it's definitely a very individualized thing. Every animal is going to have different things. If your dog has allergies or intestinal issues, all the above, the best thing is going to be going to your vet and having that consultation and talking about what what food is going to be the best. And boy, the biggest thing then is not to go to the high schooler at the local pet at the local shop. pet store. No names. Yeah, <laughs> that that doesn't have a background in nutrition. Veterinarians have a background in nutrition. I do not recommend any dog food based on any kickbacks or any money that I'm getting from any dog food companies. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation that I've seen, especially lately. I've I've done the bad thing and I've engaged in a couple Facebook posts. <laughs> Don't engage. Don't, <laughs> Don't engage. engage. But a lot of people seem to think that vets make all these big bucks off of recommending uh, certain foods because we get paid by dog food companies and that is not the case whatsoever. Yeah. I do not get paid by any dog food company and there's a handful of them that would offer, you know, some food discounts and stuff to me, but it's very minimal. Mm-hmm. Not where it's going to sway me to say, oh, yep, this is the only food yeah. I'm ever going to recommend yeah. anyone. Well, so, for that matter, I mean, having having been with you all through vet school and, and working as a veterinarian, there's two things I can say. Number one, yes, I know for a fact that there are vet, or excuse me, that there are uh, food manufacturers out there that do give discounts to veterinarians, but they basically all do that. Like it's, there's a ton that mm-hmm. do, I'm not saying they all, all do. I can't say that for sure, mm-hmm. but, but all of the main brands that people know offer that kind of a cut for veterinarians. Right. So it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like any one is more like one competitive is better. or better. Yeah. yeah. So, and I will say that you also do recommend uh, certain certain foods to certain people and a specific brand I've heard you say more than others but I know that that's been based off of your research of them and you knowing what they're giving not mm-hmm. does it have anything to do with with a financial gain because this is the number two thing I was going to say I do know to anybody listening that she doesn't get a cutback because if she did she's hiding it somewhere because it's not in my <laughs> bank account <laughs> so. right are millions of dollars from the dog food companies. Yes. And that's the the biggest thing that always drives me crazy is, I mean, there's a lot of marketing out there and a lot of these dog food companies are going to be pulling at your emotions and tugging at that to try and sway you and make, make your decisions off of that. Yeah. But the biggest thing is to try and make that decision on a, on a sound-based judgment as far as what, is scientifically proven to be the best nutritional food. And biggest things to look for within a company is, number one, my number one driver is, was that dog food formulated or made by a veterinary veterinary nutritionist? Do they have a veterinary nutritionist 
in their company yeah. hired working for them. That's the only reason why a veterinarian is going to make money off these dog food companies, by the way. If they're working for they them are as working the nutritionist. For the for that company as a, yeah. nutri- a nutritionist. So, so how would people know that? So a lot of times you have to look at this information um, online. You can sometimes contact the company themselves. Um, a really good resource that that I would have people turn to um, is called World Small Animal Veterinary Association, um, WSAVA. They have a lot of good unbiased information um, there is one about um, dog food feeding guidelines and, and how to pick a good food. Um, another big thing is making sure that they meet the AFCO feeding guidelines. And a lot of times this is going to be on the fine print on the side by the nutritional content and everything like that, um, where there's going to be a statement. And that's the AFCO statement saying that this is a well and complete balanced food. And finally, another big thing that I want people to look into too is making sure that the food is not just formulated. Formulated means that it was just written up on a computer essentially and said, yep, this is complete and balanced. This is going to be good food. We can we can feed this to them. It's going to be great. The, the companies that I like actually do feeding trials, mm-hmm. meaning that they actually feed their food um, and do diet trials um, with real animals to prove that their food is going to be beneficial and nutritional to um, the pet. So those are kind of some things to look into. And okay. again, biggest thing, go, go to your vet. We know a lot about nutrition. Some may more than others because, you know, again, I've done a lot of looking into it and reading about it. I'm trying to learn more and all the time learning more. Yeah. As there's been new, um, even publications by the FDA about just this last week, mm -hmm, recent events of. Uh, a topic that we'll be we'll be talking about probably next week is grain free mm-hmm. um, dog food, and so you know it's all ever changing. And I think that's the biggest thing is this needs to be a conversation rather than um, everybody getting super defensive and yeah. <laughs> and very passionate about their yeah. dog food. Yeah. Um, and not seeing that you know vets just really want to make sure that they're their dog is happy and healthy and I'm not in it for the money. If I were in it for the money, then I'd be recommending probably the foods that then would make them sick. Cause then that's when I see them is when they're sick. (laughs) (laughs) So, and you don't want, and I don't want that. You don't want that. No. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover when it comes to raw food. Like we said, the next couple of weeks, or we're not sure how long it's going to be. We're going to be talking about nutrition as a whole because it's a really big topic right now. If you aren't particularly interested in nutrition, I'm sorry, but we are trying to try trying to stay current with some of the big things. And nutrition is a big one right now with that mm-hmm. new study that just dropped and everything. So, uh, so that's where we're going to be going. Hey, before we close though, I uh, can't miss. 
letting you guys know um, that uh, our podcast comes with you from support from the Our Take podcast. We've mentioned them before. We'll keep mentioning them again. Really good friends, uh, Spencer and awesome Brian. Dudes. Awesome dudes. Yeah, they have a podcast about uh, kind of recent and current events and political news, and uh, they make a really funny spin about it. And it's definitely worth your worth an hour of your day when it comes out to listen to them because they're they're pretty ridiculous and funny. So I'd highly recommend them. Yeah, and we have to thank Spencer for adding a little bird friend to our, <laughs> our cover art for our Facebook page. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty skilled on on top of the the podcast stuff. He also has an Etsy for which is Scary Parrot Media. It's definitely I think it's just called Scary Parrot. Look it up, you'll find it. He does some really actually some really cool like um like the like the non-motivation photo posters <laughs> or whatever the demotivation, yeah. I don't know what they're called. Um pretty funny. They're they're good dudes though. So highly recommend listening up on them. We are super ecstatic. We've had a lot of increase in listens and followers this last couple of weeks. And so we want to put a shout out to everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, and if you enjoy what you're listening to, um, give us a share. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Twitter's so- a little lacking, but Facebook and Instagram for sure. <laughs> but um, if you... If you feel the need or, you know, want to help us out at all, um, give us a share um, to see if we we can find more people that may enjoy listening to um, our conversation. Um, And with that said, we'll see you next week. (laughs) You're going to find, obviously, the (laughs) the blooper in that. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. That right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it's going to be today. <laughs> <laughs>